1: and welcome this is the world's first radio show devoted to diving i am greg the dive master we have a special edition of the big show for you today you're not going to want to miss this because this is uh, everybody's dream you know to go down underwater scuba diving and finding treasure Uh, You know, it's like uh, that's like on everybody's bucket list as a scuba diver. I have no doubt about it. And and there's very few people on the planet that have been there and done that. But we're going to kick off the show with someone who actually has done that with the the top of the crop when it comes to underwater treasure hunting. Mel Fisher, kind of hand in hand. She worked with him. Uh, KT Bud Jones is with us to kick off scuba radio today. KT, welcome. How are you?
2: I'm fine. Thank you for uh, giving us a call and uh, look forward to sharing some stories with you.
1: Well, uh, you know, I want to uh, get pretty deep with you here because, you know, you've lived the life that we could all just dream of, uh, because and you found the biggest underwater treasure in the world, the Atosha, that everybody has, uh, you know, heard about for years right off the coast of Key West, and you were on the boat when you actually discovered the main pile of the Atocha Silver and Gold, right?
2: Absolutely. I was uh, out on the swordfish that day, the Dauntless, the swordfish, and uh, the Virgilona were all on the site that day, uh, July 20th, 1985, uh, when... uh, We discovered the main pile of the Atocha.
1: How about that? You know, I've seen the pictures. I've seen videos uh, from years uh, gone by. But I really want to get into what it was like to be part of Mel Fisher's crew. I mean, uh, we, we actually... You know, back in the day, uh, you know, before he passed away, we were gonna actually have him on the show, but then you know he got sick and the whole thing, and unfortunately that never came to be. But I've talked to his, uh, I think son Sean is it Sean is son or grandson or something, right? Grandson, Grandson, yeah. And Mm -hmm. we used to talk to him back in the day, and we actually went out on the boat and uh, did one of the treasure hunting things because they're still salvaging stuff to this day. Uh, Yeah, but uh, you know, so you. You could try to recreate that magic, but I can't imagine it was the same as being there and uh, doing it when you guys found this uh, all this silver, in particular, on that uh, magical day. So how would you describe it? it? Is is it as cool as it seems to be? Well...
2: I mean everybody talks about the romance and glamour of treasure hunting and that's just not the case. There's yeah. no romance and there's very little glamour. <laughs> you're out at sea uh, for weeks at a time sometimes without any fresh water so you're pretty crusty. You're a bit like a margarita glass uh, after a few days with a with a rim of salt stuck to you. Right. Uh, They're long, long days. You're in the water at dawn. You're not out until sunset in the summer. That's long, long days. Um, And often you're not finding anything. We spent years searching for the Atocha, doing magnetometer surveys, side scan sonars, circle searches, etc., and finding nothing. We, We certainly knew where it wasn't. We didn't know where it was for a long time. And so every year, you know, some years we'd find some good things. Like 1982, we found the Emerald Cross and ring and gold bars and um, uh, lots of coins and emerald jewelry. A lot of great things. But no some
1: birds. Money. All the bracket you hear in the background. By the way, I should have yeah. said that at the beginning. <laughs> it's like the she has. How many birds do you have at your house? You must have well, like- a. Have-
2: we have three birds, but Dinkum is our cockatoo, which we've had for 35 years, and he actually is <laughs> out on the site with us. He, We actually took him out on the site uh, uh, for later years that we were out there. Yeah. I just put him away, and I'm in another room. I think we'll still hear him in the way.
1: Well, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> you know, it goes with being a pirate. You know, if you're getting pirate treasure, you got to have your uh, bird on your shoulder and the whole thing. And yeah, uh, pretty, yeah. Much, yeah. pretty much. Yeah,
2: And he had long days, too, eh? long, tiring days. And a lot of the work, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of diving, I would say, between Sid and I. We have many thousands of hours of bottom time, many, many hours. Uh, But a lot of it's deck work as well, getting the boat set up, running anchors, moving the boat around, pulling the the gear in, gear out. uh, Yeah,
1: all the stuff no one wants to do, right? (laughs)
2: Yep, yeah. And <laughs> what was amazing is I look back on some of the videos that we have shared on YouTube, some of the videos we took at the time. We have a, a YouTube channel. We started uh, Atocha Treasure Adventures. And you see this, this ballet that we have going on on the deck that everybody knows what to do. Nobody has a specific job, but we know what needs to be done. And we just all sort of mush around and meld and make things happen with this huge, heavy and, and possibly dangerous, uh, equipment if it's not handled right. And it just happens miraculously. Yeah. Uh, When the crew is together and it takes a while, you know, it can take a whole season for a crew to gel. And uh, at the end of the season, usually around November, things start to slow down. Some of the people stay. Some say, that's enough. This wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Right. uh, Then you got to train them all over again. And it takes a while to do so.
1: Well, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you did it for 16 years before you guys found the mother load. Of the Atosha, yeah. right? So, I mean, how did it start for you? Did you uh, cross paths with Mel Fisher down in Key West at a bar, like at Sloppy Joe's? And <laughs> next thing you know, no, hey, I, help me out. Or what, how'd that happen?
2: It's more obtuse. It's much more obtuse than that. I uh, was a school teacher, a special ed school teacher up in Wisconsin. And Sid Jones, my husband, uh, at that time was, was a childhood friend that I had known for many years. He had come up to visit his folks, and he had already been down there. He started in 1979. He said, you know, you need to come down and see this. You like adventure. Why don't you come down and check out this? And I said, well, okay. I had never been on a boat before in my life. Wow. And went down there, and I went, ooh, this is cool. I mean, everything about Key West at that time, 1980 was magical. It was anything could happen day, every day in Key West, and certainly uh, anything associated with Mel Fisher. Right. And so I went back home, I took diving lessons, and I went down for the summer, because teachers have the summer off. Mm-hmm. And I worked for free for the summer, because Mel never hired women mm. uh, to be divers. You could be a cook and maybe dive, and stuff, but you just didn't hire them as divers. I said, okay. Uh, so I worked for free for the whole summer, and August came, I was going to have to go back to Key West, or excuse me, back to Milwaukee to teach, and he came up and he said, yeah, I've seen you work, uh, I want to hire you. And I went, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I
1: didn't. It, it was, did you have to think about it much? You're like, okay, no. do I stay in no. Key West, or do I go back to Wisconsin?
2: <laughs> oh, yes, Wisconsin, and, and I had a great job. I, I was, uh, you know, a multi-handicap teacher, I really enjoyed my job, Yeah. but there was a chance to treasure hunt, so. Right.
1: I, everyone's back. dream, sure. That's
2: right. And I talked to the superintendent of schools. He said, I've read about him. You go and do that. I'll hold your job for a couple of years. Of course, I never went back to it and uh, stayed there. I thought, I'm sure my parents thought I was crazy, hmm. but they knew I was happy. And that was the most important thing to them. Yeah. So well. uh, there it was. We spent, uh, and that was 1981. And we found the main pile in '85. So as many years of, of uh, you know, searching and digging and and finding nothing and finding some cool things along the way.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it was 16 years that you guys were searching uh, for the mother load and you finally hit it. But that had to be a long 16 years. But I imagine you had a lot of fun. I mean, I had heard uh, Mel was quite the character. And uh, so I want to ask her a little bit more about that. We're going to find out what he was like to dive with, to hang with, and to find treasure with. It's a pretty cool uh, thing we got going today on Scuba Radio. Stick around, more with KT next.
0: This is the Worldwide Scuba Radio Network. FULA.
1: You'll hear that a lot when you visit Fiji. It's more than a greeting. It's the spirit of this friendly country. With 333 islands, white sand beaches, and year-round tropical warmth, it's hard not to feel happy at this exceptional dive destination known as the soft coral capital of the world. Fiji Airways has a modern fleet of aircraft to take you to Fiji in style and at great prices. Contact your travel agent now or go to FijiAirways.com and plan your Fijian dive adventure. That's FijiAirways.com.
0: The world's first radio show devoted to diving.
1: Dive, dive, dive. Look down there! A wreck!
0: An old Spanish galleon, Scoob! And look at the size of that thing swimming out of it! Holy
1: mackerel! Watching late-night TV, some documentary About a man who hunts for treasure in the sea Some kind of confidence man who had a master plan He didn't sound that much different than me But I wondered what really kept him going Was it that motto that he always used to say He just kept searching without ever knowing That things would turn out this way I think today is the day Mel Fisher found the mother low that way his legacy is here to stay, filled with treasure beyond our dreams. This is the, the world's first radio show devoted to, to diving. You. I am Greg the Dive Master. I got KT Bud Jones uh, with us on the show today. She was diving with Mel Fisher. You know, they found the uh, wreck of the Atosha. It took them 16 years, but they eventually found the mother load, and you were on the boat when this happened, uh, KT. So. Well, you know, you were, uh, well, there were two divers, if I remember the story right, that went down and they stumbled across uh, the, or found the mother load and then came back to the surface and alerted the rest of the, the crew and everybody and their brother jumped in and, and yeah. wanted to get down there. Is that kind of how it happened or what?
2: That, that pretty much. We knew we were close. Um, we had been starting to find ballast. And some, uh, coins, loose coins. And so within days, we thought we're close. I mean, yeah. uh, but you know, you miss it by an inch, you miss it by a mile in the ocean. You've still missed it. And right. so even close just, just didn't count. And so we kept, uh, setting up the boat and digging holes. I mean, it was in 60 feet of water. So the, the excavation areas were smaller uh, because of the depth of the water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that day, it was about one o'clock. Uh Greg Wareham uh, and Andy Matrosi were in the hole. It was their turn to dive. We've been diving since dawn. Wow. So everybody would already uh, has saturated at this point and just waiting out a couple hours to get a bit more bottom time back. Yeah. And uh, they go down there and Greg starts looking outside the hole, the excav- excavated area, and he stumbles across this reef of what looked like a Wonderbread Bread loaves, uh, big rectangular loaves of silver, wow. silver bars everywhere. It was a reef of silver bars, 40 feet long, 20 feet wide, and five feet high of solid silver bars. Mm. They came to the surface, and Andy said, put the charts away, it's all here. It's all here. And everybody on the boats, regardless of whether they had bottom time left or not, <laughs> pulled their dive gear on and jumped in
1: i bet i now, could I you, know you actually uh bent. could you actually hear uh him talking before he broke the surface like ruh, ruh.
2: No, no no the boats are very loud the oh well okay right The boats are running the props are turning to yeah. you know prop wash deflectors And it came to the surface. everybody jumped in and uh, another diver myself uh decided we're going to swim up a silver bar now they're 80 pound bars of silver and right. you know they're all the time oh they're lighter underwater well yeah they may be but so are you your ability to pick things up is equal to as it is on the surface mm-hmm. and so we're trying to pick up an 80 pound bar between the two of us and so oh, uh, greg Wareham comes over drops our weight belts for us no we don't get anywhere we blow up our B.C.'s, we're struggling to get off the bottom, and so we kick like mad 60 feet up, and we get to the surface with this bar that's covered with uh, barnacles and encrustations, so we're all scratched up, and there's nobody on the boat to take it from us. Oh, There's <laughs> no way that we can get this up. We can't take it back down to the bottom because neither of us has any air left, yeah. we can't Drop it because everybody we know is on the bottom, and we might kill somebody. Right. Now we're starting to float down current away from the boat. So we kicked like hell to get back to the dive ladder. And I don't remember how we struggled to get up, but we did and brought the first silver bar up that day by swimming one up, never to be repeated again. Uh, You're
1: like, we'll never do uh, this again. This was not the right way to salvage this. No,
2: no. And why nobody got bent or embolized that day, I have no idea. But we were all down there, all just amazed. And then... Oh, that was, you know, mid-afternoon, and by evening, you know, by nightfall, everybody just sat around really quiet. Nobody was hooting and hollering and and uh, celebrating. Everybody was very, very quiet. We had realized, because normally you don't have any idea what the date is out there. Right. It had been 10 years to the day since Dirk and Angel and Rick Gage had died on on the Atocha site. Hmm. Um. And we thought, oh my God, we found it. Our jobs are done. We have to go out and get real jobs now. It's <sighs> over.
1: Oh, no. No, wait yeah. a minute. You have to get real jobs or you just keep one of those silver bars for yourself and retire. I mean, that's yeah, not well, how it works.
2: <laughs> no, nah, not how it works. Well, little did we know it was going to take years to recover all of that because we, we actually did archaeology. We had developed a maritime archaeology plan to photograph, draw, uh, and and measure in every artifact in situ before it was ever moved mm-hmm. and then brought to the surface after it was tagged. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of artifacts and hundreds of thousands of coins and 1,400 silver bars and, and, and individual personal items and wood and ballast and just a massive amount of artifacts to record because each one had a story to tell, and we wanted to make sure that story was told and recorded and remembered.
1: Right. Yeah. But when you found the mother load, I mean, like you said, everybody was kind of quiet that evening on the boat. You're Maybe you uh-huh. hadn't totally sunk in, I guess. But but uh, what was it, the next day then uh, Mel came over from the mainland or from Key West and, and joined you uh-huh. guys on the boat, and then that's when you realize, oh, my gosh, what has just happened? Is that what happened or well, what? Yeah.
2: I would say a bit of that, um, and it just so happens Jimmy Buffett was out in the Atocha area filming a cover for his new album, hmm. and he was using the Arbutus, which was an old uh, buoy tender ship that we used as a, a sort of a stationary uh, boat out there for various reasons, but it was out there, all the rest in the world in one spot, and it probably was a really cute idea for a an album cover because it was a big rusty mess and he right. was out there filming it and he heard us on the radio that we had found the main pile and he came over and that's where some of those pictures of mel and jimmy buffett sitting on the deck of the magruder on a throne of silver bars having an impromptu uh uh concert right there yeah as we're on out on the atocha site
1: that's amazing yeah and he wanted one for a tip I would imagine. Wasn't didn't he? Or he tried no, to play that card?
2: Not that, not that I know of. Not <laughs> yeah. that I know of.
1: Well, it's amazing. Well, and Mel himself, uh quite a character. He had quite the reputation. Uh, I want to talk about uh, what it was like to work for him, you know, or how, how well. I mean, obviously, you knew him pretty well. Can you tell us a few inside nuggets on that on the next segment? What do you think, A.T.? <laughs>
2: Absolutely, there's always a nugget
1: to tell. All right, that's coming up next on the world's first radio show devoted to diving or treasure hunting. In this case, stay close.
0: Scuba Radio. Scuba. Scuba Radio.
1: Power.
0: Surface interval is complete. You're now clear to dive with Scuba Radio. Scuba Radio. The world's first radio show devoted to diving.
1: Scuba Radio. Dive, dive, dive. If you go to the government, the treasure hunt will be off. And if there is any
0: treasure down there, you'll just be reading about somebody else finding it. Silver
1: and gold. Silver and gold. Everyone wishes for silver and gold. Feels like the holidays. Uh, every day of the year when you find silver and gold, like KT, Bud Jones did with Mel Fisher, the Wreck of the Atosha. They found that and in, uh, uh, raked into big bucks. And, you know, uh, Mel found out. Obviously, they called him back on the in, in Key West when you guys were out on the boat. And he came out the next day. Hung, hang, you know. Jimmy Buffett joins the party. I mean, what a crazy experience that had to be. Is that uh, was it or or what, KT? Well,
2: it's I would say surrealistic. I yep. mean, you just go, this can't be true. And matter of fact, now in hindsight, looking back, I go, my God, we lived a charmed life. It was a Walter Mitty type life that hmm. we lived. And what was fortunate is Sid and I got to share it together. So we get to relive some of the stories. Uh, The stories aren't lost because we both have them and we both uh, uh, enjoy them. And Sid's written a book called uh, Tocha Treasure Adventures, uh, Sweat of the Sun, Tears of the Moon. And it's actually from his point of view as a diver, as a boat captain, and eventually he was the operations manager uh, of what it was like to look for Reco- find and recover five hundred million dollars worth of gold and silver and history, mm. and it's from his point of view. You're I, when I read it, I smell the diesel fumes. I can feel the the uh, dive ladder rungs under my feet. I can taste the salt water on my regulator. It is so realistic, and I know, yeah, I was there, and so that's why it seems so real to me. But other people have told me they feel like they're right there with him, yeah, and. Uh, experiencing it with us, the everyday things. Yes, the thrill of finding it in the long days of boring forever and tired, and just had enough days. So it's called A Tocha Treasure Adventures, Sweat of the Sun, Tears of the Moon. It's on our website, and it really does share all of the aspects of this that you were asking about, the inside stories of everyday life out on the treasure hunting boats.
1: Well, I can only imagine, but everybody can relate to this. I think uh, it's any diver's dream to be underwater and finding, you know, a gold coin or And an 80-pound bar of silver. I mean, geez, amazing stuff for sure. But what about Mel himself? Let's talk about Mel Fisher. I've heard a lot of stories, but what was it like to work with him on this whole thing? Was he uh, quite a character or was he kind of crazy or what?
2: Oh, yeah, I think you pretty well covered it. Okay, with well, there you <laughs> go. Mel and Deal were the true treasures of treasure salvers. Uh, they were a team. Mel never believed he couldn't do something. He was the most positive person Sid and I have ever run into. Never had a bad thing to say about anybody. Hmm. Uh, he always kept his word. If he said that uh, you were going to get a coin, you know, because you found something special, you got a coin. We didn't get paid much, but we got paid eventually. He might yeah. owe us money for six weeks. <laughs> and give us 25 bucks and call it an advance. He was very, And we said, Mel, it's not an advance when you owe us money, but he's a very positive individual. He really did say, every day, today is the day. Mm-hmm. And often we would say, yeah, today is the day, but not for our pay. So
1: we... That. <laughs> I love it. And
2: And that yeah. was part of the job. That yeah. was part of it is you signed on and if you didn't like it, you know, you could get off the boat anytime you wanted to, but you knew, you knew at any moment, if you left... The next week they were going to find it and you'd, you'd kick yourself. So oh, of you hung in there. Yeah. And that sort of helped that Sid and I both were there because each of us sort of got tired of it at different times and therefore kept the other guy going. Right. So Worked together all the time. Then, you know, maybe half the time we'd be on the same boats. And sometimes we wouldn't see each other for weeks on end because one boat would be out and the other boat would be in or mm. on a never part of the site.
1: Right. Well, yeah, yeah, I can, I can imagine that gets a little old uh, after a while, and you gotta—it's time for a change. But I don't know. Maybe you find a silver coin. And you're like, ah, screw him. I don't care. I'm having a great day.
2: <laughs> well the, if finding stuff is the great equalizer all of a sudden whatever hurts or whatever you're tired about you you find a little treasure you go, oh, man, yeah. I'm in I'm ready I'm I'm ready I'm ready to go
1: no no doubt about it and then uh you know after you guys found it i mean how many years did you actually work the wreck yourself
2: sid and i worked it another <laughs> 5 6 years then the state And the government sort of came in and sort of slowed things down for a while. In 1997, uh, we decided to go have another adventure and go off and uh, restore and fly World War II planes up in central Florida. So, different kind of history. Yeah. So, so we spent uh, close to 20 years there.
1: How about that? Yeah, I mean, it's not like the golden days of treasure hunting today, unfortunately. I think that was the last big heyday. I mean, I hear so much grumbling from treasure hunters today. That is, it's just not the same. Is that what you hear too, or what do you think?
2: Well, well, a lot of the the wrecks have been uh, worked. the The idea of wrecks in. United States waters. That that's if it isn't under Mel's contract or agreement with the uh, with uh, the government, it's not going to happen anymore because of the Abandoned Shipwreck Act. Now over the Maravilla over in uh, the Bahamas with uh, Carl Allen, or yeah, Carl Allen. Now that's something very exciting that he's doing right now. But that's the Bahamas, and he's worked a deal with them, and he's finding wonderful things from a wreck that had been worked. For years and years and years, but he's still finding material because of better methods, mm-hmm. better detectors, etc.
1: Yeah. So, are you tempted to get into that stuff still uh, today? Oh, do you do any of oh, this or no?
2: Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Seventeen fifteen fleet will start working again. Uh, this summer, and that's the oh. wrecks between Fort Pierce and Sebastian. And there were 10 galleons that sank in July of 1715. In the last couple of summers, Sid and I have gone out and helped a few of the crew. Uh, not full time, uh, because we, we are still working with um, the World War II planes, but it's great to be back under the boxes and hand fanning and, you know, working the metal detector. Matter of fact, last summer... I found a coin thirty-two years after the last time I found a coin on that site.
1: thirty-two
2: wow. years—that's a long time.
1: That is a—that's uh, yeah. Uh, so you were pretty excited, I would imagine, finding oh, that coin at that point.
2: Myself, yeah. Oh, yeah, I just said to myself, well, it's about time.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, do yeah, you, you get to standards. do you get to keep it when you find oh, that yeah. type of thing? Okay, uh, no. Oh, no, no, that all
2: belongs to yeah. the company that. Uh, uh, does the salvaging and then they have to turn it into the state and then the state divides it with them on and on and on. Right. But no, you, you, of course, you always turn it in for mm-hmm. a simple reason that that's how you're raised. And two, you can't brag about what you found unless you turn it in.
1: You can't brag about True. it. True. That is so true. Yeah, I mean, but when you guys found it back in the day, you didn't have nearly as uh, many regulations then, did did he? I oh, mean, yes,
2: we did. Oh, you did. We you had, still had tons yes. that you
1: had to deal with. Okay, yeah,
2: we all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. We battled twenty six Supreme Court cases, won all of them, but it took millions and millions of dollars as well as years of litigation to beat the government at their own game.
1: And Mel blazed the trail, and he had to fight for everything he found and uh, it worked out good for him, but they will never be a Mel Fisher again, you think?
2: Well, it's it would be very difficult. Uh, the government believes in in-situ archaeology, which means just leave it on the bottom to rot away, mm. because the ocean just chews away at the, uh, at the artifacts, at the history, and does not preserve it, waiting for you to come down and look at it right. and not bring it to the surface for everybody to enjoy and to learn from.
1: KT, thank you so much for being on Scuba Radio today. If If people want to check out your uh, book about all the coins that you've discovered. She wrote a book on it. What's the website and the book for your hubby too?
2: It's really simple. Atocha Treasure Adventures. And that's the YouTube channel. So my book is called Coins of the Lost Galleons and it gives you detail of what all the markings mean and so that when you look for a coin yourself or, or maybe even beachcombing, you'll know what you find. And SIDS is called Tocha Treasure Adventures, Sweat of the Sun, Tears of the Moon. Both are available there on that website,
1: right there. KT, you've had quite the life, and we appreciate you sharing a bit of it with us on Scuba Radio today. You too. Thank you so much. More coming up on the world's first radio show devoted to diving.
0: This is the Worldwide Scuba Radio Network. Scuba Radio Network. Media. Prepare to rig for dive! Your surface interval is complete. You are now clear to dive with Scuba Radio. Scuba Radio. The world's first radio show devoted to diving. Scuba
1: Radio. Dive, dive, dive. Okay, who wants to go down the creepy tunnel inside the tomb first? We're just going to wait here for a little while so things quiet down if you don't mind.
0: Going down now.
1: This is the world's first radio show devoted to diving. I am Greg the Dive Master. Okay, time now to dive a little deeper into a member of the Scuba Radio Scuba Squad. Brittany is her name. We know her as the Aqua Gypsy. Brittany, how you doing? What's going on?
3: I'm doing well, thanks. How you doing, Greg?
1: I'm good. I'm good. You know, so, you know, a lot of people hear you week in and week out. On the show, uh but if they haven't been paying real close attention, they may not know your background and uh so I want to talk a little i want to dive a little deeper with the Aqua gypsy, find out how she became a diver so uh I'll let you take it from here what what got you into diving in the first place brett,
3: yeah, well, it was a really funny story i um when I was younger, you know first, second, third grade. Every single book that I took out from the library had to do with the ocean or dolphins. Every single show that I watched was either Flipper or You're Never Going to Believe This Sea Hunt. Really?
1: How old are you, Brittany?
3: (laughs) I'm only (laughs) thirty-four.
1: Yeah, that's that doesn't sound right. So you watched actually reruns of Sea Hunt when you were a kid?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I just loved it, and I had never seen the ocean in my life, Greg. I only. We used to go to uh, Orlando every year. I'm from Vermont originally, so we used to go to Orlando every year when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I had only seen uh, SeaWorld. That's the only thing that I knew. And then finally, when I was in fifth grade, uh, my parents took me to uh, Cocoa Beach, and that was where I saw the beach for the first time. But when I was in second grade, I had begged my mom, I had this pink room, and I had begged her to please... Change it uh, ocean blue and make the whole theme dolphin. And I'd never seen the ocean in my life. No one that I grew up with had any idea, like, where this whole uh, love for the ocean came from.
1: Well, was it because you, you went to SeaWorld and you saw the dolphins, the killer whales, and you wanted to be, a, like, a dolphin trainer or something like that? That That's on a lot of people's lists when they're little kids, you think?
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that definitely uh, probably had a lot to do with it.
1: Um, yeah. But you were in a uh, landlocked area, uh, you know, when you're growing up. I, same for me, actually. I grew up in Cincinnati. I I didn't have any ocean around me, but I, I'd seen TV shows like, you know, on Discovery Channel and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, the movie The Abyss kind of, you know, sparked my interest in wanting to become a diver back in the day. But it was the same kind of thing for you, it sounds like. You think? hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it just, uh, morphed in to this childhood dream of wanting to go, uh, underwater and be an explorer or, you know, go see the dolphins firsthand. And then what well, you, you eventually, what came to Florida or how, how did you mm-hmm. finally get in, uh, to getting certified to dive?
3: So I always wanted to dive. Um, uh, it was one of the, the things that it was like my, my childhood dream. And then when I, was a freshman in college. I, I went to school up North. I went to school in Vermont. And so I took this scuba course and I got certified up there and I got certified on October 16th and the water was, um, at depth, it was 56 degrees. Ouch. Mm. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, I went back home and everyone said, how was it? How was it? And I said, cold yeah I, you know, I said no, i don't think that this diving thing is for me there's a like, what what you yeah. know what do you mean so then uh, a couple of years later i ended up going down to key west on spring break and i decided that i wanted to go diving mm-hmm. and i got underwater and i thought wow this is diving
1: right this is how it's supposed to be you're yeah. just just wearing your bathing suit uh basking in the sun the water is warm uh the visibility is awesome i mean when you were diving uh what was it vermont like a quarry is that where you did your first dive where it was so cold or what
3: yeah it was actually right over the border in uh, lake george new york but mm-hmm. um, they have an actual scuba park so there was a sunken car and a plane and right but they were all at 60 feet down so it was freezing
1: down there. Yeah, I have no doubt if it was in uh, what do you say 50 something. Mm-hmm. 56. I guess shrink just thinking about it. But uh but yeah, you know I had the same issue when I first got certified. The first I'd say my first 10 dives or so as a certified diver just blew. They were terrible. Uh cold, miserable, sleeting on one of them, uh couldn't see my hand in front of my face on one of the dives. It was, I was like, "Wait a minute." I, yeah. uh, I've i seen videos, I've seen Discovery Channel, it's supposed to be way better than this. And then I had that hallelujah moment, I think, uh, well, it was off the coast of West Palm Beach, and I had one of those type dives. Sounds like what you had there in Key West. Was it kind of like, oh, yes, here we are, <laughs> and then you were hooked yeah. ever since, or what?
3: No, totally, and it was perfect conditions, right? Mm-hmm. It was 80, 80, 80, yes, you know? Yes, Right. Amazing. And then that's when I figured out that I was a warm water wuss.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. So you get so jaded, so spoiled uh, when you're in Florida. Uh, You know, I really admire the people that uh, can handle that cold water stuff. And it's worth it if you're willing to make the time and investment. But man, when you do the whole bathtub diving uh, kind of thing where it's just like, you know, the water temp is perfect. Uh, great visibility you don't have to put on a wetsuit you know can strip down to as you know as light and and uh, free as you want to be and you can mm-hmm. even dive naked uh if you want to, but uh that's uh you know we won't go there, Brittany, but regardless uh you were hooked ever since and been diving uh diving full i mean in matter as a matter of fact, how we got to know Brittany was that she reached out to me I don't know how many years ago it's been. But, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, was it DEMA or you emailed me or something? You were asking about an instructor training facility in Mexico. Isn't that right?
3: Um, No, actually, I think I messaged you 2013. Okay. And uh, and then you said, well, you know, if you ever want to come on the show, and all of a sudden I was starstruck, you know, I (laughs) I thought that I had.
1: (laughs) She had been drinking, obviously, uh, easily amused. That kind of thing.
3: I thought that I landed this big deal.
1: Well, and so, uh, you did. I, I mean, coming. look at you now. You're the Aqua Gypsy on Scuba Radio. I mean, it's. I know.
3: <laughs> so I started coming on the show, and then mm-hmm. um, we all met up uh, in Dima.
1: Right, but yeah, but you were asking me about about uh, you know getting your instructor. Uh, certification and you said you had found some place in mexico and what did i think and i told Mm him i gave you my two cents like hey go for it and sure enough Mm -hmm. we we covered your progress on the show and that's kind of how you evolved into a regular and into Mm -hmm. a scuba radio scuba squad member right
3: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, definitely so in the beginning i was just kind of on and off with the show Mm -hmm. um because i was just a recreational diver but i wanted to dive every single interest that I had so I had some interest in treasure diving so I did that I had some interest in photography so um I got a camera I had some interest in in wreck diving uh so I, I pretty much did the entire wreck trek in uh in the Florida Keys and then I got to a point where I was, I was just thinking like okay what's next yeah and I knew I wanted to get more technical into diving and I wanted to know more about the gear and then I really reached out to you and and we chatted about everything. I had never taken a sabbatical from life in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, you know, Greg, like, ah, this is going to be three or four months of just straight, diving like five times a day you know waking up in the morning going into the dive shop if i'm not diving i'm working on gear i'm doing this i'm doing that i'm taking out clients and and i think you just sat on the other end of the phone and said Brittany, do go, it
1: go for <laughs> it not there's no better way to learn how to dive and become an instructor than work at a, a dive destination or live aboard like that and uh, just you know jump in fins first and uh, uh-huh. it'll change your life And it sure enough did I mean, as you can see She's all over the place Which explains why we dubbed her Brittany the Aqua Gypsy Alright, well Brittany Thank you for that background And now everybody will hear you And have a little bit better uh, you know, Understanding of where you're coming from In your diver life Sounds good,
3: Greg Thank
1: you And we got more coming up In hour two of the world's First radio show devoted to diving Stay close On the boat down below If you want to stay Press your eyes, there, You'll want to be there On Scuba Radio
0: oxygen. Yes, we all miss our loved ones and gases.
1: Let's go.